Well now, gracious, loving God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, sisters and brothers, grace to you and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1956, a small book was published that has haunted uh, hundreds of millions of readers ever since. It was written by the Jewish writer Elie Wiesel, who tells of what it was like to be a young boy in the Nazi death camps of Auschwitz and Buchenwald. Seized at the age of 15, he was herded into a boxcar packed with other Jewish victims and transported to a place of unspeakable horror. His mother was murdered, his father was murdered, his little sister was murdered. Numberless people around him were beaten or shot or hanged or poisoned to death. And always, everywhere around him, in his clothes and under his skin and in his nostrils, was the smoke that poured like a black river from the ovens where bodies were being burned. The name of that book is Night. And Wiesel said that from the very first day, surrounded by the unrestrained cruelty at Auschwitz, his world was turned into one long night. In Nazi Germany, these unthinkable atrocities, many of them, were committed against millions of Jews and others, not by professional torturers, but by people who had been shopkeepers and business owners and who often carried Bibles and thought of themselves as good Lutherans. And not so long ago in our own country, Baptist deacons in the South could be seen smiling as they posed to have their pictures taken beside the body of a black man whom they had hanged from a tree not far from the church house. We can learn volumes about any religion by observing how honest it is about that kind of evil in the world. Something in all of us wants to deny the night down here, and certainly some forms of religion uh, and religious thought do just that. But the Bible is relentless in telling the truth about the horrors of the night and never sugarcoating the hideous of this world. Evil is here, it's real, it's inside all of us. And and even more than that, it's an aggressive, purposeful malignancy alive in the air. See, the night of this world, yes, is our sin, But it's so much more than just the sum total of your sins and my sins put together. The dark night is is infinitely larger than your flesh and blood and mine. And so it is, as the scriptures say, the principalities and powers and rulers of, of the darkness. And it's been said that on the day they crucified Jesus, all the powers got loose. And during our Lenten journey together, we're going to be recalling the most painful story, which has become for us the most beautiful story. So many people have tried to tell the story through preaching, poetry, literature, theater. Painters, sculptors, musicians, dancers all have tried to tell it. None of them could tell it all. 
In the first century, four individuals told what they could of the story. None of the four signed their names to their work, but the church later gave their names as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of them told it in a different way because each was standing in a different place at the moment of Jesus' death. None of them told it all. Each of them told what he could. This is the story of a holy man, a strong, sovereign man who one day chooses to put aside his power and let everyone do to him the very worst that they can do. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus, the mover, the doer, the initiator. He is always on the go. He moves in. He takes hold. He transforms people, and then he moves on. Read the Gospels from the beginning and and notice that most of the verbs belong to Jesus. He comes, he sees, he embraces, he rebukes, he touches, he teaches, he heals. He is a strong, active, initiating force until, until the moment when he lets himself be arrested. And, And in that instant, a noticeable change takes place in the grammar of the Gospels. Jesus stops acting and becomes the one acted upon by everyone else. They seize him, bind him, lead him, interrogate him, strike him, spit on him, mock him, whip him, and strip him, and nail him to a cross. People come to see the show, much like they did in the South when folk were lynched. And at Jesus' crucifixion, they wagged their heads and they sneered at him. Hey, Savior, save yourself. And not just the people, the local clergy association is there too. And they also laugh at him. And as one of the Gospels tells it, even the criminals being crucified with him join in the taunting that day. It takes six hours for him to die. But before he dies... Jesus speaks words as he hangs from the cross. There are seven expressions attributed to Jesus during his crucifixion. And so during these Sundays, as we make our way toward Easter, we're going to stand beneath the cross along with the four gospel writers and listen to the words of Jesus as he dies. So let's begin. A woman who grew up on a farm once described what it was like raising their own food. The vegetables were fine, she said. It was the meat that was hard. And she told of how once when she was a little girl, it was time to take one of the calves to be slaughtered. And the young animal was so scared that the girl's father asked someone else to drive so that he could ride with the calf in the back of the trailer. And by the time they got to where they were going, the father was in tears because he said the calf had licked his arm all the way to the slaughterhouse. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We need to remember and never forget that what ultimately conspired to crucify an innocent man were the two noblest pillars of human achievement in that day, law and faith. The charges against him were treason and blasphemy. Treason was the state's accusation against Jesus because he allowed his followers to call him their king. 
Blasphemy was the church's accusation against him because he wouldn't deny being the son of God. See, Jesus came to earth, and when he did, he scratched the surface of both church and state. And in their fear and rage, they crucified him. These were the ones who drove him to the slaughterhouse. And he licked their arms all the way. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The people around the cross that day may well have heard him say that more than once. Because the verb here can be translated, and Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. Maybe he prayed it as they hammered in the nails. Maybe he prayed it as they gambled for his robe and again as they laughed and taunted him. Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they do. So what do you imagine they thought when they heard him say those words? It had to have made the self-righteous folk in the crowd downright furious. This is precisely why Jesus of Nazareth ought to be executed, they're likely thinking to themselves, always pronouncing forgiveness on people who haven't even asked for it and don't even deserve it. And worse than that, now he presumes to forgive us of all people who have kept all the rules. We don't want his forgiveness. We don't need his forgiveness. By the way, some Christians have always resisted this particular word of Jesus from the cross. They've resisted it so much that this first word from the cross very nearly was not kept in the New Testament. Did you know that? Some of the earliest manuscripts we have leave these words out. Apparently, someone was troubled enough by it, thought it to be so scandalous that it almost wasn't kept. But other reliable sources do include it. And besides, it's so very like Jesus to have said it. And in doing so, embodied the very thing he had taught his disciples. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And even though something in us keeps scrambling to cut this word away from us, too, Yet his word keeps coming for us again and again. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So what kind of forgiveness are we talking about here? A mother stands between her son and the school principal pleading, he didn't mean to break the window. You know how it is. Boys will be boys. Or a boss catches an employee lying about some time off and winks and shrugs and says, well, I guess none of us is perfect. Thank God we don't have a savior who makes excuses for us. If Jesus did forgiveness like most of us imagine forgiveness, let bygones be bygones. If he just waved off our sin and told us we're okay, we would know in our gut that he's a liar. There's no power in that kind of forgiveness. No power to break something in us that needs breaking. Friends, hear the good news this morning. That the forgiveness of Christ isn't sentiment. And it's not denial. It's not excuse. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ is identification. It's an innocent man taking his place with us, not to excuse our sin, but to stagger beneath the weight of it. 
to open himself to it, to absorb all the poison and die of it, obliterating its power as he does. The word for forgiveness means release. It means cut loose. When Jesus cried out to God on our behalf, Father, release them, that word had power to cut something loose from us. Because in Christ, God's heart takes it and breaks it and sets it free. That's the power of the forgiveness of Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, when, when, you, when you cut through the surface of the Lord Jesus Christ, what you'll always find at the heart, at the marrow, is a prayer for our forgiveness. In Ann Tyler's novel titled Saint Maybe, a deeply, deeply troubled young man gets his life back when he stumbles into an unusual kind of church with an unforgettable name, the Church of the Second Chance. And this morning, friends, I'm here to proclaim that's the name of my church. It's the name of your church. It's the name of the church whose Savior and founder died on a cross with our sin wrapped around his own flesh and the word of our release on his lips. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Thanks be to God. Amen. And so, merciful God, thank you for this unspeakable gift and for grace so big and so wide that we will never come to the end of it, just like your love. We give our love back to you now by way of our recommitted lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen.